Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. There's been two times in my life where someone has spoken to me and I've had to double tape because of the language or accent they were speaking in. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean that in a way where I was just really surprised. The first time was when I was in a club in Hong Kong. I was like 15 or something. And I was on, I had this table. I had a table at the club. And then these Indian people joined in, right? And joined onto our table. And I was uh, speaking to one of the girls there. And, and, and she just like spoke Cantonese to me. And I was like, huh? Like, are you speaking Cantonese to me? And the funny thing was, right? I couldn't speak to her in English because her English wasn't good enough. So I had to use Cantonese. And I, I just, that, that was just such a, a mind bender for me, completely mind bender. And um, yeah, but the second time was when I met our next guest and he came to the Philips Hong Kong preview and Chinese guy walks in and then speaks English. Okay, so that's fair enough, nothing surprising, but it's in the thickest Irish accent you can imagine. I was like, huh? So for those that know him, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about and who I'm talking about. It's, of course, Jackie Ho from Watch Ho & Co, Hong Kong. So welcome to the show, Jackie. What's the crack, guys? How are we? Thanks for having me feel, here. I don't feel like his accent is bad. I no, totally I didn't say it was bad. It. Oh, like oh, as I in was it's just not like, heavy. I was like, huh? <laughs> I was like, oh, huh? But it's unexpected, I, yeah. I was like... Okay, speak more, speak more. Because <laughs> like I need to make yeah. sure that I heard that right. Yeah. Yeah. I think from from your English background and then hearing my accent, you would pick it up a lot more than uh, uh other people, right? So uh my accent is definitely mellowed out a lot more and my Irish accent comes out more and stronger when I speak to other Irish people. Yeah. Um, and also imagine, yeah. been also living in Hong Kong for the last couple of years too and um adapting to you know switching between Cantonese and English and speaking mm. to most of my other friends who speak English that are usually just either American Canadian or British predominantly mm. well that's so... actually kind of like uh, my first question but what were we going to say long no if you like try and do this interview without looking at him like without looking at him <laughs> in the zoom and then you look sideways you're like yeah it could be like a white guy <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i actually get that out the funny story when um when i used to go to university and we had to ring ring around for um houses to rent or rooms to rent so there you give the name but i wouldn't give the surname right i'd say yeah yeah come over uh, check it out what's your name oh my name is jackie so you knock on the door and you're like oh hi i i spoke to you earlier about the room or the house for rent and they'd look at you sideways and they'd be like, yeah, and what's your name? I was like, Jackie, I just spoke to you literally like 10 minutes ago. And they were like, oh, I wasn't expecting uh, this type <laughs> of a Jackie, you know? So I got that. I, I get that so many times, even 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 in Ireland, when no matter where we go, I just, when, when I need, when I open my mouth, then you definitely get the, the looks from people, especially growing up in Ireland in the 80s. Probably not so much now because of, uh, the rest of the the Chinese community um, moving over there um, in the last ten years or so, there's definitely a lot more 
jackies out there like me. Probably not all six foot one as tall as me, but there's definitely lots out there who speak with an Irish accent, but with an Asian face. <laughs> well, you, you picked you picked the right Chinese name. I mean, Jackie. I mean, it's mm. just like I don't know. It's probably as common as Kevin or something <laughs> for Chinese. Yeah, name. my parents, my, my parents, my parents picked it for me. So and, and it's stuck ever since. And when I was in university, there was actually in my classes a couple of other girls whose name was Jackie. Mm. So to make it easier on the lecture, I said, you know what, just call me Jack from now. It's easy. And because every time she used uh. to say Jackie. A couple of us spoke up or put up our hands. So I said, okay, just go with Jack, you know, for a while. It, okay. it would have been easier, yeah. Okay. So as you've kind of alluded to, you now live in Hong Kong, but you did grow up in Ireland. What do you enjoy Correct. about each place and where does the heart lie? Um, I grew up in, let, let, let me circle back. I was born and bred in Hong Kong, well, bred until I was five, then emigrated to Hong Kong. Uh, I started emigrated to Ireland in the mid eighties um, and lived there for the majority of my life. So I probably know more about Ireland and Irish culture and a, a, a lot more memories of growing up there than I would in Hong Kong. Um, what I like about Ireland is, you know, the people very welcoming, very friendly, very compassionate people, and uh, a good sense of humor too. You know, always up for fun, up for the crack. Um, you know, ripping the piss out of each other, slagging each other is what 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 we would say. I like the big outdoors, the spaciousness, uh, the the clean air. I suppose compared to Hong Kong, right? Um, less people, less traffic, and also just the the social etiquette over there. And what I mean is I sometimes in Hong Kong I miss, not that I miss, but sometimes when you're walking along and, you see, and, and, there's, and there's only one other person walking across from you, in Ireland, that person probably say good morning or good evening or even nod the head to you, even though you might be strangers. Yeah. And whereas in Hong Kong, I don't think that has ever happened to me. Right. And even if it did, yeah. you'd be thinking like, okay, what's this guy or girl want? You know, you'd yeah, definitely be I very know. skeptical or very cautious about it. Whereas in Ireland, it, it, it's the norm. And also, you know, holding the door open, you know, that's, yeah, that's, that's just, you know, the norm in Hong Kong and or maybe in Western society. Whereas in Hong Kong here, you know, people, you know, and I mean, kind of not slamming in your face, but definitely don't hold the door open for you. Right? <laughs> Correct. So yeah. I, I miss yeah. I miss I miss that every now and then. Obviously, I miss the uh, yeah the, the space is a big thing, right? When 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 you're growing up in Ireland, you live like a regular house is you know maybe fifteen fifteen hundred square square foot, you know two thousand mm. square foot, you know mm. uh, with two or three floors even. Whereas in Hong Kong, you know you're practically living in in, in luxury and it's over five hundred square foot. Mm. You know, so mm. that thing, and also having some privacy as well. I definitely miss that from from Ireland. Um, but look, uh, maybe painting a bad picture here in Hong Kong, and that's definitely not the case. But it's just if you had to compare, the, these are the things that I miss miss in Ireland. Also, as well, Ireland fresh produce. You know, and if it says it's organic, you don't have to question it. You know, and uh, mm. I lived in a I lived in a very small town with ten thousand people and lived by the sea. You know fresh seafood i'd pick up the phone and i'd bring my fisherman friend and he'd be like 
oh, I'm just coming back. I've got lots of nice fresh lobsters and crabs and whatever fish. Let me drop them over to you. And literally just out of his car in the back, you can mm. pick what you like, as fresh as you can be. And then you cook it and then you have it. Even, you know, steak, you have lamb, beef, venison, veal, whatever you want, a duck, anything like that, mm. you know. So I kind of really miss that. And obviously it's a, it's a lot cheaper than Hong Kong. But obviously I, I Hong Kong is, yeah. Go ahead. Um, so, because I face this issue too, I my natural urge is to be like, "Hey, when I like say I step into the lift and there's one other person, I'll be like, hey, yeah, right, yeah, yeah.'" And yeah, then yeah. obviously, I always get really weird looks, so I just turn around like, "Okay, I'm just talking to myself." <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, do yeah. you continue doing it, or do you just like have you just given up? No, I've 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 given up. Although okay. if, 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 if like, you know, some uh, 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 old elderly couple or elderly uh, uh, lady or man comes in, I would, you know, try and be kind and nice and smile to them and ask them, you know, what floor are they going to and definitely hold it. Mm. If I, like, I still continue to hold the lift doors or, or the doors because mm. that's just the person yeah. that I am. Yeah. And I don't think that even moving or, or, or living uh, here in Hong Kong where that's not the norm. Because yeah. sometimes when I hold the door, people, they look at me kind of twice. Yeah. I was like, why are you doing this? You know, yeah. and I don't yeah. expect, you know, a thank you or anything like that, which you would get, you know, in Ireland or any other Western mm-hmm. society that the other person would hold the door for the other person and so on and so forth. Um, but in Hong Kong, yeah, it's, it's, it's different, I guess, because it's, it's a fast paced city. Uh, everyone's in a rush. Everyone needs to be on time and, and needs to be somewhere, whereas the pace of life in Hong in, in Ireland is a lot slower. Mm. What I find in Hong Kong is obviously it's it's not as boring as Ireland. You could say that Ireland is peaceful, but then on the other hand, you could say that it is quite boring. You know, mm. you know, Hong Kong is a city that never sleeps. It's a international city, cosmopolitan city that, you know, the shopping is still open eight, nine, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in, in, in Ireland, uh, places more or less close, you know, uh, quite early. Mm. But, like, sorry, this is like a bit of a tangent. Irish girls are mm-hmm. pretty good looking, aren't they? Like, like actually known to be quite good looking and fair and, you know, a good laugh and everything, aren't they? Compared to like, well, not compared to anything, actually. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know this, by the way. Because I was like, are you comparing to like the Brits? I'm not comparing like... to anybody because I don't want to oh, offend okay. anybody. Oh, yeah. I was waiting for you to finish comparing to, yeah. to who. Yeah, compared you know, to Long but... Long then. You know, yeah. she, she can take no, it. Oh, yeah. then Long Long is much more beautiful, right? Uh-huh. I think you're the first one to say that online. That isn't me. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, are Irish girls renowned for being good looking? Um, yeah. Uh, I'm probably on the fence on that. Um, there's <laughs> definitely, yeah, there's def- that's been diplomatic, I guess. Uh, I, I think uh, there's, there's definitely good-looking girls out there, right? And being friendly, yes. Being chatty, yes. Being social, sociable, yes. Um, but are they renowned for being good-looking? Uh, fiery red uh, redheads, or gingers, as we as as we call them, right? Yeah, there's definitely mm-hmm. lots of them with freckles. Pale skin. <laughs> Irish are known. Irish are known are renowned for their pale skin. So that's the thing that they they can't tan. They turn it. They turn red. Lobster. It's like 
like us Asians trying to drink, we get the Asian flush, they get the uh, the, 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 the the Irish uh, red tan or the farmer's tan, as they call it. Like, you know, so uh, no, I, Irish girls are, 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 are nice for sure. Right. So I spoke to you yesterday in preparation for this call. And what became really apparent in um, your watch journey is that you've had many very clear, distinctive phases. Actually, you've covered a lot of areas where you know most people would might think about covering um so i just wanted to you know just explore through our talk you know your experiences with that um one aspect of your watch collecting journey was with vintage rolex so mm -hmm. what got you into vintage rolex because it is vintage rolex is a thing where i think generally all watch collectors appreciate that as a rabbit hole that they can go into but not everybody mm -hmm. does go into it what mm. made you really really uh yeah go into it i guess starting off i was more into uh mainstream commercial brands and, and modern watches and that's how my journey started um my first watch was a was a panerai second watch was a pate calatrava and then third watch was an AP uh, 15400 steel uh, blue dial boutique. And back then they were going for little or nothing. I think I got it for like 110K Hong Kong. Very, very cheap. And I got it a great dealer even then, brand new. Uh, fourth watch then was uh, a, a Yachtmaster two-tone uh, chocolate dial. And I think as you get deeper into watch collecting, you then like you you consume a lot of content as in content as in we did a lot of reading back then there wasn't as much content as you would get now with with social media platforms especially like ig right so we're informed of reading a lot you know reading a lot of catalogs and, and just trying to learn as much as i could and then from browsing through the forums you know vintage was definitely a, a, a big section within those forums I would sometimes venture into it and, and, and read a little bit of what people are posting, but I never really delved into it that much because number one, I didn't really understand some of the terms they're talking about or the, or the references, or I didn't, I wasn't that uh, fully immersed into it yet, or I didn't have maybe better way thing as uh, it, it, it didn't really speak to me yet, you know, because we often say in the term in watch guys like that watch spoke to me or pulled at my heartstrings. It didn't at that stage yet, but as I was collecting more of the moderns, I think for me, it was very natural to move into vintage Rolex because I had everything that was modern was on my wrist, right? So the next thing, or next evolution, or next phase of my watch collecting moved on to something old, something vintage, something with more kind of character that, was, that wasn't pristine, that, 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 that had scratches in it because all my watches were brand new, right? I, bought, I didn't buy any second hand. Back then, it was it was very accessible to, to walk in to either a boutique or a dealership and just buy brand new. Uh, and then even in second hand, uh, wasn't really selling that much. And So I wanted something that had character on it. So I wanted something that uh, was completely different to what I was collecting already. So I started educating myself and learning about vintage Rolex. So the first watch, uh, uh, vintage Rolex that I got was uh, a, a Datejust, uh, 16234. Um, uh, pr pretty standard because uh, you read um, what 
these uh, uh, vintage Rolex experts or enthusiasts were saying is that you, you know you can't go wrong with the vintage Datejust. You know, thirty six mm, classic size, great on the wrist, and very, uh, very easy to pair with whatever you're 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 wearing, and also that it, it shows you know back then what people said you, you you had certain taste to be able to pick out a good date just too and, and you, you really can't go wrong so that was my first foray into vintage rolex and then obviously as as you get the first one you, you there's so many other different references out there and, and there's such good value then back then too right there wasn't that explosion of price or hype or, or anyone that was flipping back then right it was just you know very very affordable prices so moving on, they just then you, you had your Explorer two, uh, then you had your um, your GMTs, and then it just got deeper and deeper. And as you said, Daniel, the the, the rabbit hole for for vintage Rolex is, is is a lot deeper than any other uh, genres of, of of watches. You know, I would argue on 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 my case anyway. So. The deeper I got into it, the more I wanted to learn about it. You know, Mark One, Mark Two, different bezels, different type fonts, all this kind of stuff. Like you know, and every day I would just read up on it. And then, you know, my uncle is a big influence on me uh, collecting watches here in Hong Kong, and I would even you know send uh, what I was uh, learning, you know, and he'd be like, "Yeah, this is a good pick," or "This is a good pick," and he would then share his views on it too. Like, and so I was still living in Ireland at the time and my uncle was uh, based here in Hong Kong. So with seven, eight hour difference, so uh, I would be behind. So I would like sleep, I send it and then I'd wake up and have his reply and, and so on and so forth. So it got to there. And I suppose the pinnacle of my, uh, of my vintage Rolex collection was uh, purchasing uh, 6263 Big Red uh, Silver Dial. So I was deciding on which uh, which one to get, and I settled for the silver dial. Because for me, silver dial gives uh, in some lighting and some dials that you get. Sometimes it's silver, sometimes it's matte, whereas the black is just black, right? So I thought the silver has definitely more character to it, or more, you know, excuse the pun, more shades to it. And you know, I learned through what the Daytona was, the history, the Paul Newman, and everything else, and I thought. Wow, this 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 watch you know could really would suit me. And now everything here that I was looking at was just all photos and just all uh, everything was online. Like I didn't have uh, an example to touch, to feel, to try on, to to think. So I based purely on photos and that I liked this watch and 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 also the the research that I was doing. And kind of it was really romantic for me hearing about you know the history of how, how it started. Daytona and, and Paul Newman and getting into all that, I just completely fell in love with it and I had to track one down. And so eventually, yeah, I tracked one down uh, here in Hong Kong. It was full set, um, unpolished, because that was a big thing back in the day. It's still a big thing now, right? But, you know, now that I've learned, you know, um, no one can really say with good authority that it's unpolished. It's unpolished to me, but you might look at it and have a different opinion of it, right? But back then i had to rely on so-called experts by sending or posting photos not sending posting them photos and for them to give judgment on on, on the side so i had to just you know uh, rely on my own um research and also the advice from the, the so-called experts back then so yeah i was really happy when i got it uh, wore it every day 
um, this was in what 2018-2019, paid a quite uh, handsome price for it. And looking back now, I should, probably should have never paid the price for it. And the fact that I insisted on a full set back then probably uh, was why I paid such a premium, right? Because back then I I wanted everything, including the hang tag. If it didn't have a hang tag. You know, it, it it wasn't a full set to me, right? Which is you know ridiculous if you think about it now, because you can you can get any any watch and you could you could get the full set afterwards. You could you know, but but it had to be original to me. Original as in whoever was selling it had to have the full set there. You know, so it might not have even been original, and 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 it turned out that it, it likely wasn't. But for me, the when I was purchasing it and whoever was selling it, that had to have the full set there. Okay. So would you say the Daytona, vintage Daytona, is the zenith of vintage Rolex collecting? Like, did you ever get into the subs? And in terms of, like, the GMTs, was it mainly the 16.75? Or was it, you know, did you ever um, go to the sub area? No, went to Explore, went to GMT. Oh, Day-Day. Sorry, I forgot to mention Day-Days. Yeah, yeah. And when I first started watch collecting, I said I'd never uh, wear a full gold watch. And then, lo and behold, after a while then, I bought a full gold, yellow gold day day, you know, because I thought, oh, I, re I read up on it. I was like, oh, presidential, you know, all the presidents wore it too. And it's a president bracelet and all this. And I was like, oh, cool, you know, wearing it when I feel like a president too. Like, you know, this kind of naive, innocent feeling that you got when you're reading this research, really romanticize it back then. Like, you know, looking back on it, you kind of, it's kind of laughable, right? So many, many people listening to this might be, you know, giggling or chuckling at this too. Because, but that's how I felt at the time. And that's why I, I bought it. Um, but no, I never went into, because there's so much to, 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 to learn and focus on. I, I just managed to get what was affordable to me at the time, which is starting off with the, the, the date just, the date dates, the, the, the GMTs, the, the explorers. And then um, I went for, yeah, like you said, the, the, the zenith or the pinnacle of my vintage Rolex collection, which was uh, the Daytona uh, 6263. In terms of the Explorer 1, how far did you get into that vintage Rolex? Was it mainly the 1016 or? No, it was the Explorer 2. So oh, okay. it was the, it was the, it was the, um, the Polar. But mine had tropicalized. And actually, my first one that I got was from your colleague, uh, Gertrude. And it right. was actually my first auction win uh, was also from Philip. Ah, okay. Yeah. 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 The yeah. reason why I was asking, I've been recently looking at Explorer 1s, and I quite like the 6350, which is the one with the yeah. honeycomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, honeycomb. yeah, yeah, yeah. Super yeah. nice. Like, that honeycomb. Very nice. Is, and so yeah. much character when, when you wear it on the wrist. And, and I think... With vintage Rolex, I think why I got into it as well is because I wanted to differentiate myself from from others that were collecting that were at the same um, same kind of uh, level. Or does that mean yeah, that at, level? At, what level? As in, we 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 were just collecting mainstream and, and modern watches, and we had only really recently started, right? And so, you know, you would connect with them or you would build up a rapport with those people because you're more or less at the same stage. I mean, sorry, I should have said, instead of level, I should have said at the same stage. So then I started, you know, uh, trying to differentiate myself a little bit from it because everything I was wearing was modern, whether it was sports, uh, uh, whether it was uh, dressy, 
I wanted something, like I said, that that I didn't have to baby as much too, because when you buy new watches and as a, as a as a very newbie watch collector, you often baby your watches, right? Because you don't want you want them pristine, you don't want the battle scars, you don't want the scratches, you know. But looking back on it now, and 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 now I'm, I I I don't really mind the odd scratch on it, and I actually prefer buying secondhand or pre-owned or pre-loved watches because there's a lot more value in them. And they've also been scratched, though. Even if I scratch it more, it's not the first scratch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've definitely, since joining Philips, been more exposed to the vintage Rolexes. And, mm. like, one of the good things is, is, you know, right there, you might have, like, 6262 all the way up to 6265. So you can have them mm. right there, and you can compare each, like, the differences yeah. and subtleties together, and, and obviously learning and you know, you talk about the dials, which, you know, mm. is a is a complete minefield. But then try not, and but, I don't know, to me, it is the ultimate, like, sports watch. Because it's so iconic, that heritage and yeah. that history. You just can't really beat the Daytona, you know. I, I would argue, actually, maybe, I've also been recently looking at the 2915s, like the, the Omegas. You know, mm. the watch that went to the moon is, it's hard mm. to beat that as well, right? Yeah, um, yeah, obviously correct, doesn't have yeah. the brand power like Rolex, but still super, mm. you know, amazing. Because I always my my watch collection is mainly dress watches, and mm. um, I do want to get a sports watch, but I would just like think, what sports watch do I get? Right, and then everybody will say, oh, you know, it'll be Nautilus in the Royal Oak, and then you think, okay, vintage. I don't even, I just have no feeling to those watches, right? So um, yeah, I think the vintage, especially I tried on Jack's one, the six two three nine um mm. oh man it was amazing like it was one of those moments it was it was like love it was like i get it i get it i get it yeah. i just can't get it now but i will get you one day <laughs> you know? yeah i i i can totally i can totally relate it, it, it's just like you said you don't have any feelings whatsoever to modern you know sports watches like yeah. nautilus or, or royal oak and that was the feeling that i had for or that it, it spoke to me, vintage Rolex did, right? Whereas any other genres really didn't. And I was just all in on it. And the more I knew about it or researched it or educated myself on it, the more I wanted to get it. So it became like an obsession almost to the point that I was thinking about it daily. Like I went to bed thinking about it. I woke up thinking about it. And it was just like 6263 silver dial. And had to be full set, and uh, I had to get it no matter what. Like it took me a good while to get it and to hunt it down. And even with the big price, it didn't it didn't put me off, you know, because mm. I wanted that badge. Um. So so yeah, looking back on it, it was you know it was pretty crazy, it was pretty ballsy. You could call it, you could call it stupid as well. But you know, I just to just to finish the story on it, um, I did end up selling um this. Uh, grail at the time or my vintage rolex grail at the times because i wore it out one night and i got completely uh drunk that i passed out in a park wearing it yeah completely passed out in the park yeah i was that drunk and then i woke up and look and i wasn't robbed or anything and the watch was still on my wrist and probably whoever whoever that didn't want to rob me didn't think that it was of any value whatsoever but i managed to scrape the scratch the acrylic um 
the, the acrylic uh, cover on it. So, and then I just told myself, you know what? Um, I'm never wearing this out again because number one, I paid so much for it. I love it so much. Now I've scraped it. I just felt really, really bad. Mm. And then with, with the emergence of, of, of indies and everything else, um, I kind of, my the next evolution or the next stage of my watch collecting moved on to indies because I felt that you know where could where else could I go from the six two six three big red you know yeah. because the, the the next you know where do you go from there like you could have mm-hmm. went in with with you know with with the with the original Paul Newman but that would have cost you know insane amounts of money and even in that I started to question the authenticity. As in, not that the watch was fake, but the originality. As in, is this factory original? Did this watch mm. come out of the factory with that bezel, with mm. that crown, with those pushers, you know, with those hands? Like, is it really unpolished? But no one with good authority could say it. Yes, you believe in it, but then, you know, five other people might disagree with you. And it mm. kind of got to me after a while, because before I accepted that, you know, um, but but then... I was I was thinking I was like you know I'm paying this amount of money for it. The least that I uh, I wanted from it was that someone could confirm whether it was Rolex or or, or someone could say, yep, that's a hundred percent factory original. That's how the watch left the factory at the time. Or if anything was changed, you wanted to highlight in the service papers. But sometimes that's not there available. So that's one of the reasons why I kind of lost interest in uh, vintage Rolex at the time and moved on to Indies because, you know, Indies, you could connect with the, um, with the brands uh, and more affordable. And then you, there's no question whatsoever about the uh, originality. Yeah. So that like strong draw, strong passion you had for like vintage Rolex, the Daytona 6263, Long, long's going right through it right now with RM. And, uh, yeah. you know, behind you, your screen is just showing tons of it RM. Had, no, it had the <laughs> RM and I was looking at it and it had the color that I was thinking yeah, I of. Know. But uh, I have to say, when he was going through the I go to sleep, I think about it. I wake up, I think about it. That's <laughs> me right now, constantly. Every day, I'm like scrolling on like, not just Instagram and then on uh, the Chinese equivalent of Chinese Instagram. And then I'll crop it. I'll be like, there's another one. And who's wearing it? Like, who has it? And I'll be so (laughs) mad and I'll think about it. So when you were explaining it, I was like, good for you that you got it. Because if you don't get it, like, it would just, like, you just, it'll eat you alive because you keep thinking about it. So it's better to get it out of your system. I I saw the picture on the back of the screen, like, behind you. And I knew, I was like, then I looked at Long Long's face to see if there was any, like, keeping it together, right? So professional for this interview. But I was like, I was, like, about to message her and say, did you see the watch? But then I thought, it's a stupid question. She so saw the watch. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, yeah, so you did cover, like, why you fell out of it. And then you started to go into the independence. And I know, at some instance, you took an interest into F.P. Jean like many collectors and what is it that drew you to Jean? what is it that drew me to Jean? um it definitely wasn't the hype um back in what 2021 where Jean was there was an explosion of of of, of Jean being made available and also a big explosion in price 
what drew me to Jean, I think it was just the dial design, the off center dial, uh, the sub dials. Like my first love of of Jean was the Octa. It wasn't the it wasn't the Chronometre Bleu. It wasn't the Elegante. It wasn't the the hype ones or the easily so called affordable ones back then. It was an Octa, and I liked it with the, the platinum case and the yellow gold dial and an early one. So collectors of Jorns or people who, who like Jorns would know that the early Jorn dials um, uh, patinaed or it, it turned shimmery, right? And that really drew me because it also is an overlap of or as a continuation of vintage Rolex because I, I was really into tropical in, in vintage Rolex, right? So tropical dials, tropical sub-dials, like even my Explorer 2 or even even my uh, date just had a little bit of tropical in it too. I actually had a purple date just that was uh, started its life as blue and it turned into purple, right? So that's why, so uh, I didn't completely fall out of love with vintage Rolex. It carried on, but it moved on to a different, a different genre, right? It moved on to independence. So, and it, so straight away, I liked the vintage ones. I didn't, I didn't like the, the modern ones so much. I appreciated them from what they were. But I, I immediately was fixated um, to the vintage ones, and it was Octa that I liked, and it was the Reserve de Marche that that I that I really liked, and also the the the, the classic case size as well. You know, thirty eight, which is the, the the early size cases, uh, just sat really well on the wrist. Obviously, the the the, the movement uh, at the back, everything just it just spoke to me really, right? And, yeah, and, but and that's like, recurring... just, just want to come in there, yeah. Jackie, like because you yeah. like the Reserve de Marche, yeah. right? And it's great that you like that, and there are people that do, you know, it's the great thing about watch collecting is that we like something different. But yeah. why that? Because surely the resonance tourbillon, okay, maybe not the tourbillon, you know, because not everybody everybody has a may have has a personal opinion about tourbillon, but yeah. resonance, uh, the Calendrier, you know, are more iconic like no, what is it about i want to come in because i that's also my favorite piece if if okay. even if they gave it to me for free and they were like can you choose one i wouldn't choose the other ones and in my head yeah. i was also like i'm dead set i want this size but the only difference is he likes platinum and well i i would have chosen the rose gold so but, what is it then that, about let's let's take well, let's i take don't know what long let's take it from long first then no, it's just preference. I think people yeah, just like yeah. you're just drawn to things. I think if you know exactly um, like your taste, you will never be like, yeah, but this one's more iconic. You just like what you like. And then that's it. But I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 yeah I, I agree. Like I, I go back to this phrase. It spoke to me like I was doing mm -hmm. research on FB Jorn and everything else. And at the time, it was the resonance. It was the uh, yeah, it was the resonance that that you know, people learned about Jean, but yeah, while I was fascinated by it and, 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 and the, uh, the movement itself and the caliber and the whole, uh, how resonance worked, right. It was a new, well, it was new for me, this phenomenon. So I was fascinated by that, but going through the different models that he had, it was what caught my eye was the Octa. Now I did like the Octa Loon, as well, but uh, it was the it was the, it was the RBN, the Reserve de Marche, that spoke to me uh, the most. And also, as well, you had to think back. Just like when I was getting into vintage Rolex, it was 
what was affordable to me at the time. Like when I went into vintage Rolex, it was the date just, and then it was, you know, the day date, you know, it was much more affordable compared to uh, the, the Daytonas at the time, because I didn't move into vintage Rolex and, and got a, 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 a 6263 at the time. So a reserved Marsh at the time, I think was the one that I liked the most. And I thought it would be the most affordable. And I didn't like the Elegantes and I didn't like the Corona Metro Blues um, at the time. So, yeah, I, I set my sights on uh, a, um, a reserve de marche. But it never, I never bought one at the time then because I never found one um, that was, that I liked. Or, well, let me rephrase that. I did find one, but it wasn't in the condition that I liked. The dial was really nice, but the, the back, the movement, uh, was scraped to shit. It was like Freddy Krueger went in there and, uh, and and just scratched. It wasn't just scratched around the uh, the screws, like the base plate everywhere was scratched. So it was like someone opened it up, uh, was was high on something or was drunk and started just stabbing the back of that case. It was because it was it was shocking because the the front side of the die was absolutely beautiful. It was stunning. It was I was sold, and then I flipped it over and I was like. What the fuck happened here? You know, do you know what I mean? It was that kind of a moment, and then I looked at the sales, and he looked back at me, and like I could tell from his face and his eyes, he was like, "Oh, here comes the next question." Like, you know, what happened here? But you know, couldn't couldn't really answer it, and I couldn't put myself to. Even though it was, I, I, I loved it as much, I couldn't uh, I couldn't force myself to buy it because I knew those scratches at the back would would forever haunt me. And it would be always a question mark whenever you showed it to people that they would ask me, what happened here? And I would never have the answer for them. And that would really annoy me. Mm. And so fast forward then recently, and with the uh, consolidation of prices and the downturn of, uh, of the, the watch market in general, Sean uh, prices or Sean models weren't immune to the price drop. And I happened to find a very nice example, not in platinum, but in your favorite uh, iteration, Lung Lung, in yeah. rose gold and also in rose gold dial too. And the, it's one of the earliest uh, models, 2001, mm-hmm. uh, brass movement, uh, 38mm, and also it's a straight line Cote de Genève as well. Full set and uh, serviced by Jean in, Ju- in the June of last year. So very very lucky that i managed to pick it up and at a at a a very affordable and decent price congratulations are you wearing it now because you keep looking at your wrist yes 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 i'm wearing it yeah i'm wearing it yeah yeah yeah. i have long long you've seen this before have you seen before no you haven't uh there's a collector in hong kong who dan we like we did his unboxing for the ti so he collects brass yeah. movements, yeah. And I managed to see. Who, yeah. who, who was it? Um, I don't. He doesn't. He doesn't go. Well, he doesn't want to show reveal his real name. But on Instagram, okay, sure. he's watch lover one one two something. One, oh, one, I know two, who nine. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One, one, one he, Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've uh, yeah, we've so hung he, out a yeah. few times, and he showed me his few uh, his, his few pieces. He's very knowledgeable yeah. in journey. He's probably yeah, one of the biggest. One of. Uh, many big joint collectors in Hong Kong. Yeah. yeah, very good guy and very knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah. So, Jackie, you also, you know, you obviously have a lot of time because you're now a big fan of Daniel Roth. You know, so 
Um, yes. Daniel so Roth has a cult following, a real strong cult following. Yeah. What is it about Daniel Roth, would you say, from a, your point of view, is so enticing? So let me just circle back to when I didn't manage to buy the genre at the time because I sold a lot of my vintage Rolex, including the 663 Big Red mm. at the time to fund the genre uh, RDM, which never materialized. And at the time, um, I was influenced by a good friend of mine and, and a local collector, but he's very low-key and low-profile. But he's very knowledgeable and he collects um, Jorn and Roth as well. A lot of the early pieces, and he got them before uh, any of the hype or anyone was really interested in them. So he got them at really good prices, but he did his research and he actually liked them a lot. And he had a couple of uh, Roths there, early pieces that he showed me whenever we met up and I never really liked them at the time. I was like, you know, kind of weird looking case, you know, uh, very, uh, maybe too dressy for me as well. But he continued to show me uh, and, 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 and tell me about it and, and educate me about uh, Daniel Roth himself. And I, I started doing research after I, I kind of gave up uh, on the RDM on the Jorn. I did my research on it and I was fascinated by it because uh, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, well, they might know it now, uh, but he was actually the, the, the father of, of independence. Like he was the first one to come out and create his own brand in, in, in his namesake. You know, he led the way at the time in the late eighties and to come out with a, uh, iconic case shape with his double ellipse, which is his signature at the time. Uh, in 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 late eighty late eighties early nineties to have that type of a case took some balls you know like he's like when everyone was just coming out with classical square or circle watches he came out with a hybrid one to believe in himself that much to come out with a case that that's that that's that distinct and to come out as an independent brand using his own name and to be committed to it that definitely you know earns my respect. And mm -hmm. it, it stood the test of time. He was years ahead of everyone else, like you know. And and it's a it's a shame that he's never really got the credit that he deserves. He he ha he's starting to now with the revival, um, with LVMH reviving it. But but back then, no one really knew about him, or, or no one understood or was misunderstood about Roth watches. And so, uh, after um, I lost that, or I, I didn't manage to buy the Jordan. Uh, a couple of early pieces, uh, early rot pieces started becoming available. And the first one I bought was the, the retrograde, right? Mm -hmm. Which is based on, um, on, on I think, um, is it? A, a, um, yeah, it's based on a pocket watch. And could it be from, yeah. What, what's the, sorry, just lost my, 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 my train of thought there. What's the real famous English uh, uh, watchmaker? George Daniels, yeah. George Daniels, actually, yeah. It's George. It's, I think it was based on a George Daniels pocket watch. It could have been. Oh, I stand corrected there. And uh, very cool design, um, retrograde, uh, small seconds, uh, lovely case design, finished very well at the back. And, uh, yeah, I just fell in love with it. Never that, ever since then, I just focused uh, my uh, my my journey or my collecting towards on Daniel Roth because I just saw immense not not value but the the the, the craftsmanship um mm. 
the the thought process in it, the the, the way he made it, and the, the different types of materials, the, the different dial types. Like you know, he has the chronograph, he has the skeleton tourbillon, he has the papillon. Like you know, it, it's just endless. It's, it's, it's like it, it's quite a shame that he doesn't get the recognition, in my opinion. Like the likes of you know, he's not spoken in the same breath as 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 before, you know. But but back then, actually, he actually brought in before to help him uh, build the uh, uh, his perpetual calendar at the time, right? So that's mm-hmm. how you know that's how big he was at the time that he actually brought in before to help him, you know, come up with the perpetual calendar. Mm-hmm. So amongst the Indies, you've also, you know. Bebethoon. So you're already very familiar with the whole indie world. But you know, where'd you go from here? I'm to be honest, I'm I'm very after I got my um RDM de Jean, I'm actually very content. I have to say, for the probably for the like, you know, famous last words, right? But for the probably for the first time in my collecting journey, I'm actually really, really content. Um, because I've I've chased this watch for such a long time and now after I don't know three four years, I've managed to pick it up, although not in the same uh, variant that I initially set out to. But I've actually, um, I've actually really loved this watch, even in the double rose. Um, you know, even though my first love was the platinum and yellow gold, and now it's the double mm-hmm. rose. I've actually really enjoying this watch, and, uh, and I've been wearing it ever since. So where do I go from here? Um, you know, we were just. <laughs> We're the uh, we're just talking to yeah. We're just talking to Amrita from Tatler uh, a couple of weeks back, myself and Clarence, with regarding you know, uh, it just came out this month actually uh, regarding uh, um, you know, our do we have a a problem with overbuying? Right? Is it is it an addiction or is it a passion? Right? So for me. I will continue to collect, but I think I'll focus more on a lot of neo vintage, a lot of on uh, a good value pieces, mm-hmm. um, like like neo vintage AP, neo vintage even uh, Chopard or mm-hmm. uh, Piaget, um, stone dials, you know, any kind of um, asymmetric dials. There's a lot of value out there, like you know, yeah. I'm, I'm probably I like. Same with you, uh, Daniel. The the modern stuff doesn't speak to me anymore. I've absolutely no feeling towards them whatsoever. I appreciate them for what they are. Like I don't buy watches to flip. There's you know there isn't. Uh, I don't have that mindset that I buy that it has to hold uh, value. You know it's great that it does, but it doesn't matter that if it doesn't because I buy them to collect them and enjoy. Mm. So I think there's definitely a lot of um, undervalued. Uh, pieces out there that waiting to be discovered and i think that lies within neo vintage and vintage as well and some of the paddocks that are that have come out are you know the perpetual calendars 3940s has blown up in the last couple of while even yeah. the uh even the, uh, the the vintage apqps which i managed to to get an mop version of it that i showed you that time mm, when, yeah. when we had dinner was and i was really like nice. it's a beautiful piece yeah. like it's a grand yeah. comp and it has a lot of historical significance as well. Yeah. As it, it's it's actually the watch that saved AP during the quartz crisis, mm. you know. And 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 for that watch, uh, you would you probably wouldn't even get you know a a, a modern for the price of a modern oh, I don't know yeah. modern day date or a modern Daytona, right? Yeah. Um, 
you know, probably wouldn't get it. Like, you know, so I think like, extremely good. Like it's a grand comp, extremely good value there. That yeah. I think people, you know, that should be looking at um, more closely rather than trying to follow the hype or be influenced by the peers. I know it's very difficult not to because the content that we consume and, 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 the, and the accounts and pages that we follow will constantly be, it's the regurgitate, it's the hype stuff, it's what the, what's, what's the, what's what the dealers are selling because it's the most liquid, right? But some mm-hmm. of the accounts, you know, the, the, the new vintage, you know, uh, accounts that follow, like Watches and Guinness is great. Like, you know, good, a good friend of mine, a fellow Irishman as well, like his knowledge within, you know, vintage and new vintage space is, 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 you know, is amazing. Some of the pieces he, he buys now, uh, people are trying to, you know, uh, buy them too after he, you know, so he's a major influence in that space. Yeah, I think the the vintage market, there's so many watches out there that are still yet to be discovered in some kind of way. Obviously, the yeah. bigger brands always like, get the first dibs like people start investigating mm. what's out there and what references yeah. are still yet to be found but the vintage market vintage collectors also you know the knowledge the search for knowledge and the history which kind of like mm. similar is a part of the satisfaction in owning that piece because they're not trying to find a piece which is actually recognized by everybody you know they're, yeah. t- they're trying to find pieces where they can tell you something that you don't know <laughs> you know, like, or very specific information to that piece, which really speaks to them. And then they go and like buy it, you know? So it, I think it's a very different vintage. I think it talks to a different type of collector to, you know, yeah. people like Indies yeah. or modern I, watches or, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I agree with what you're saying. And, and, and vintage isn't for everyone. I think it, you have mm. to, it has to, going back to that phrase, it has to speak to you. You have to like it. And it has to be, you have to be at a certain stage of collecting um, or a certain personality to be able to collect or buy vintage uh, watches. Because you have to do a lot of research. You have to rely on uh, the people around you to give you advice on it. And you you take certain risks too because you're buying an old used watch, right? Compared to moderns. Mm. You know there isn't there isn't that much of a risk there right so um, well i think with i think modern you always get the the horror stories generally like service or something you know poor service yeah, yeah. but with yeah, vintage yeah, watches yeah. the horror story is probably 10 times worse because you lost money <laughs> like you know you got scammed basically right and sometimes yeah, it's yeah, intentional yeah. and sometimes it's not intentional yeah yeah or it's not as described you know so yeah yeah it's 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 it's, it's a complete minefield um, vintage watches, not just vintage Rolex, but I suppose vintage Rolex is, is definitely a lot more scarier because there's so many, uh, there's so many iterations, so many variations of of different marks, you know, bonds, types, bezels, you name it, and it's like the wild west out there, and and, and also some of the they didn't have, they didn't keep very good um, records either. Like mm-hmm. there's not that many archives out there that you can read up on. And then someone might have a different opinion to yours, you know, and, and you had a, you had a good authority from an expert, but then a, a, another so-called expert might might have opposing views. So it, it's uh, it's definitely frustrating. But if you do like if you do your research and, and take your time and, and 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 buy well, it is actually it's a very rewarding uh, uh, type of watch to collect and enjoy. 
Right. We're coming towards the end of your um, interview. I do want to give some attention to Watch Ho & Co, which is the uh, club you run in Hong Kong. So mm. I got I mean, just two questions on this. Sure. What? How do you run your club and what are you looking to achieve? Sorry, that's two questions already. <laughs> but the second question or the third question is, yeah, how do you actually also see watch clubs developing in the future? Will there be an evolution or will it stay as it is? Or, you know, do you see any transitions happening? Um, what was the first question again? Yeah, sorry. Um, the first question was, how do you run the club and what are you looking to achieve? Okay, so how do I run the club? Um, first of all, we run it as non-profit. It's not a business to us. It's not a no commercial angle to it whatsoever. Uh, we run it out of uh, complete passion. Uh, we run it as uh, a hobby as well. Um, we do it because we love hosting events and getting like-minded people together under one roof and talking about the hobby that we love, which is horology. And uh, we, we only launched last year, May, and we've held three big uh, GDGs, so the launch uh, party, which is in May, and then we had a summer GDG, and we ended up with uh, a Christmas GDG. And in, in between that, then we've done a lot of collab uh, events with the likes of WristCheck, with the likes of uh, Watchbox. Uh, we've done collab events with Cartier, Bulgari as well. And we've done a, a smaller events too um, as well. So we've been really, really active in that space. Um, uh, to me, probably we're, we're probably the most active club out there. I'm sure some would, would disagree, but I, I think from our, our point of view, we're, we're, we are quite active. And we do it completely out of, uh, out of passion. And we want to be able to be a club that is inclusive, not to take ourselves too seriously. Because I think, you know, while horology and, and, and collecting in general is, is a serious matter, but it's also meant to be fun. Like we don't, we don't uh, try and lecture anyone uh, or we don't be try to be the authority on watch collecting. We just we just share our thoughts on it and our watch our watch journey and how we got we got to this particular point. And we share uh, of the watches that are in our own collection. And at no point do we say that you know we are, correct or there's a or we or you are wrong or anything like that but we simply just put it out there and just let everyone see the type of watches that we have available at different gdgs and also i like meeting up with uh, the watch the local watch community here um as i mentioned to you yesterday it's like you know hong kong can while it's a busy city never sleeps it can be quite a, a lonely city too and I suppose I felt that when I uh, initially moved back, that it's hard to, you know, connect with people on the same level, on the same with with the same kind of interest. I think, you know, going back with, you know, holding the doors, lists, and 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 everything like that. It's it would because there wasn't any watch clothes back then for us, right? So it was very hard to connect with people that we're collecting watches. So I think there is a demand out there and it just takes 
that one person or that one club to organize events and that people will come and that you create an atmosphere which is inclusive and that there's no judgment whatsoever and to take long long line too it's like good vibes only and that's our motto and slogan of our of our watch club is that you know while we we collect watches and uh, but we're here to have fun and enjoy ourselves too and you know we organize gdgs we, we don't we we don't try to impress on anyone that it's educational or there's any kind of type of lectures there whatsoever but we meet up we, we hang out it's very chill uh there's watches on show we chat to you know the, the different type of collectors there no matter what stage you are you're you're more than welcome as long as you treat everyone with respect and dignity and that you have an interest in horology you're more than welcome to come because i get a lot of dms when we post um, events that people are a bit intimidated to join because they might not have um, as much knowledge in their opinion right or they might not have the collection uh, that that is big enough or that might that they might collect a certain type of watch that they don't think they ha- add any value of coming but you know I explained to them that it, it, there's there's absolutely no judgment we all have to start somewhere and that uh, just because you're collecting you know swatches or sequels doesn't make you any less of a collector than what what, what I'm collecting or compared to anyone else there's no comparison whatsoever. so there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, well, it does actually it does actually <laughs> and it does what it does make you less of a collector if you're collecting seacos or, or swatches yeah you see you can't even say the name properly seacos <laughs> seacos well i call them seacos uh, I'm joking. Look, there's just sector. something on this podcast right like everybody yeah, yeah. calm down you know like <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's this thing on that we me and lung basically can't get into seiko or grand seiko right like we tried oh, okay. we actually tried you know it's like yeah. there's there's effort here but it's just yeah. not happening, you know. And uh, since then, you know, everybody's like come down on us, you know. But I think just as everybody's allowed to like everything, you know, yeah. there's be- we're also allowed to dislike things as well, you know. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. I have a, I actually have a Seiko as well in in my collection. I didn't mention, but but yeah, just getting back to it, it's 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 basically just just telling everyone this that like you know, just come, just hang out and have fun. It's it's it's. It's not a place to be intimidated or that no one's going to judge you whatsoever. And if there are those people in our club, then they won't be welcomed again. And, uh, um, and yeah, and that's that's basically it. It's just because, like you said, just going back to the the, the, the lonely part of it, I think there's, there's a lot of people out there that are that, that want to join these, but obviously don't have the confidence or that they, they, they have social anxiety and everything. And a good example that I mentioned to you yesterday is like, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but... Uh, this particular follower has been following me for quite a while and looks at all my stories all the time. Then I reached out to him and I said, hey, why don't you join one of our events? And, you know, he, he was very skeptical and very cautious and asked me, you know, why do you want me to come? And and, and I, are you making money out of me? And, and, and why do you want me there? And what value will I add? And all this kind of stuff, like, you know, and, and I, I had to explain to him that, like, you know, yeah. we just want you there because you're a watch collector and we haven't met yet. And, but you, you seem like a really nice... Uh, person you collect cool watches as well i'd like to meet and chat with you and i've asked like you know asked him uh, so many times and in the end he, he did come and he had a great time and he came out of his shell you know but 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 that person suffered from social anxiety or that was suffered some 
trauma in his in his life in the last couple of years, but he managed to open up and come out after a couple of uh, you know after he came to the first event, he's been to several events now. Now he's within our WhatsApp group and he's chatting. He's 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 uh, connecting with other people and and he's willing to go to other uh, other GDGs by other clubs like the you know so. Uh, that to me gives me satisfaction. It gives me, you know, it gives me, it warms my heart, so to speak, is that that we're bringing these people to our events and they're enjoying it. They're coming out of their shell. You know, they're talking about what they're passionate about, like you know, and they're also meeting new friends and 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 mm-hmm. and, and you know, uh, expanding their social circle. Are you talking that's, about? That's are you talking about like Sino Watch Guy? There, this, this sounds exactly yeah. like yeah. Sino Watch Guy. <laughs> 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 that's a joke I, I again know, I'm not gonna name a joke names. everybody calm he down he has no issues coming out of his shell yeah. and like insulting yeah, people yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, not anymore not anymore yeah 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 but um right we have to go on to the next round jackie uh we are yeah. now going to the reverso round so your, your questions now can you hear me okay yeah something just went yes. off there yeah it's clear you can hear me okay yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay, my question is is that uh, to Daniel first, um, if you had to do the podcast from scratch again, what would you do differently? Ah, I like that question. That's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, what would I do differently? Mm. Well, that's easy. <laughs> I don't know. I think everything like happened the way it kind of supposed to happen. You know, like the main, the main, the main enjoyment for me from the podcast, yeah, is that I get to talk to people like you, with my friends like Long Long and Jacqueline. Actually, you know, it's a very basic. I'm a very basic kind of guy like that, right? Um, and that has just. I hope that the listeners have felt that because that's what I've enjoyed the most. You know, and that's been true in almost like. Well, I was going to say almost all episodes. Sometimes we do get the odd dud one where I think the audience enjoy it, but maybe I I enjoy it less. I'll be honest. Yeah. Um. So, and and what people don't recognize as well is that off the podcast, our personal relationships, right, have also matured, mm. and in a really it sounds so cringy, but in a beautiful way, right. And that's also something I'm really grateful for. And I'm not, I don't need like thousands and thousands of followers to make me feel good. But, I, you know, some of those deep connections that I have with a few people, I really appreciate, you know, and I appreciate having them like, I guess, in my life, in my circle. So that has always been number one. And if I changed anything, as long as that existed, and I think it would, then I wouldn't not sure I'm not sure I would change anything you know um I would have somehow liked to have been able to monetize it but it's not something I can physically change you know I can't Mm. change it to become you know monetized and I think one thing that has been very very comfortable is that we've all shared the same kind of feeling towards monetization you know we're not comfortable doing this we're not comfortable doing that but also I hope that one day that answer will come right Mm. Um, and the thing is, we're not the only podcast trying to think about monetization here. You know, pretty much all podcasts are thinking about mm. monetization, right? So, you know, things are looking good for us this year. You know, there's a few hopeful shoots 
that we could like follow that we may be able to monetize in the way we're happy with. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. But, awesome. Uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's a really that's a really nice answer. It's like a warm the heart answer that you, you you know you like watch collecting or or watch clubs that we've met great people along the way. We've made connections that will last a lifetime and memories too, and we've got some really good friends around us now because of you know whether it's a podcast, watch collecting, or a watch club, and that's yeah. what that's the beauty of it. Like you said, you know, monetizing it. Uh, yeah, it'd be great if we did because, it, like as you know, uh, running a watch club takes uh, an inordinate amount of time and effort to do it, and patience. Mm-hmm. You know, to run these events and and, and host them too, but. You know, at the end of the day, like the story that it holds you, that's the kind of stuff that gives me satisfaction, gives me motivation. That there's plenty more people out there that 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 feel the same way, but ha- haven't connected yet. And that if you're listening or whatever, then you know, please drop me a DM or please come to 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 one of our events, and you know, you'll understand and you'll see for yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Long Long's question. Long Long's question. Mm, I was going to say the same question for you mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. um i'm gonna say from a female point of watch collecting what do you think are the benefits and the negatives okay i'll do benefits first then i think that you definitely have well, one, if you actually like the female watches, which is fine. Actually, there's a lot of really nice ones. You you can just buy it easily. So that's one thing. But also, I just feel like people in general in a group setting are very understanding. If I open my mouth and I'm about to speak, whoever is speaking would just be like, okay, I'll just give her a space to speak. So there are like benefits, I think. Um, and of course, uh, it's. I'm also lucky to be in like in these few years, there's been a lot of change and to watch it change. So I think that's really exciting for me. And and I don't mean like in that sense, like, oh, look, now they have female CEOs, not like that. But you can actually see a shift in terms of more people getting into it and how serious mm. a lot of women are. So that's been really nice. And then negatives are just generally the same. I, I'm sure if today I was in any other hobby it could be like cooking I like cars as well or it could be like say guns right I'm sure I'll have the same issue but obviously I get a lot of rubbish dms as well and Mm. I also have a lot of social anxiety so I like I do appreciate like you reach out people reach out and they ask me to join a lot of things but I am a really introverted person and I don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable because I actually could sit with you and talk to you for like six hours straight, like you and me, but in a group setting, I will never have the chance to get to know you on that level. And then I feel like I've wasted time in terms of, I just want to make real connections. I don't want to just be like, Hey, to a bunch of people. And so I miss out on a lot of these things. Cause I also walk in and I feel extremely shy, extremely awkward. And I just immediately go and sit in the corner. So I yeah. wish that I could call a bunch of my friends who are not guys and be like, Hey, like a bunch of girls and be like, Hey, you want to go? But so far in my experience, other than Jacqueline, I really haven't met somebody yet that, could really sit there on a in like on a chair for eight eight hours and just talk about watches and not be bored 
so yeah. i just wish that there was more of like i guess like more girls yeah yeah i think probably if people don't know you that well no no they yeah. wouldn't have known that you were very introverted or anything like that and, yeah uh, you know and, and it's good to you know to for, for the listeners and everyone else out there that like you know would just just because of what you think or what you perceive on IG isn't, isn't yeah. necessarily true or anything like that. You know, you need to hear it from that person too. So we all have different personalities and I am, I, I, you know, I totally understand and totally relate. And it's just going back to our own club, it's like whenever we have an event, I, I always make it a point to mm -hmm. invite female collectors there because I think they're, you know, they, they, they add value to yeah. watch collecting and to the, the community and, and, and to the event too. So I make it uh, a, a conscious effort to invite as many as I can. And, and I'm happy to say that the, that there's a lot of uh, very cool female collectors that join our events and that are in, in, in Hong Kong as general. And there's definitely going to be a lot more coming from this too. Yeah, mm. it's nice. I've been seeing that and I've been like, this is cool. Someone's like doing something about it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah it's great. Right, we're going to go on to the penult well, the final round, sorry. The pump pusher yeah. round. Number yeah. one, a traditional Irish food that you miss and have to eat when you land back in Ireland. Um, That's non-alcoholic. Irish stew. Uh, what's what's Irish, Irish stew? So it's like um, in, in the equivalent of beef brisket in Hong Kong. The Cantonese style, but with more yeah. uh, veg and everything else, and sometimes they cook it with Guinness. Mm. That sounds so really it's good. Really, it's really nice. It's really good, and then day. you have mash or potatoes beside it. Yeah, uh, uh, with it too, and 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 you you mash it all up. It's great. It's just real comfort food, especially on a on a cold, damp day for sure. Is it a delicacy? Or is it something like no? A, it's like definitely a... not a delicacy. It's an Irish okay. Jew. So, like, I'm sure the the, the the British have an equivalent version too. But I think what makes it Irish is that they, you know, they they make it their way, and they put they probably put a lot of Guinness in it too. Right. Okay. <laughs> My second question: Does Irish Guinness taste different? Absolutely, especially if it's pulled from uh, pulled as a pint over there. Yeah, it's completely different to the canned and bottled stuff here. Really? Absolutely. Elaborate. Yeah. Like, a I take lot it creamier, it's better. a lot fresher, uh, a lot fresher, creamier, uh, more flavorsome. Uh, yeah, you just can't be uh, fresh from uh, from a pull pint. So, just an bar. extra question: Do you drink Guinness in Hong Kong? No, absolutely not. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Me. it's that bad shit okay yeah, right number three not, no. number three your nickname my At nickname well, whenever time yeah i'm affectionately known on in in the in the ig scene as watch home okay <laughs> it's true actually you are uh number yeah. four your favorite <laughs> flavor of crisps and for our american listeners i mean chips uh prawn cocktail <laughs> uh, okay. yeah. I know. That's I, I, a I, very yeah. Irish one. Yeah, okay. you would okay. know it. And Long Long wouldn't know yeah. it, but, but you, 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 you understand it. Uh, yeah, Long Long, do you not know prawn cocktail flavor? No, no. Yeah. Oh, it's nice. You'd love it. It's, it's nice. <laughs> okay. It's really nice. To be honest, salt and vinegar. 
salt and vinegar all the yeah way. you can't beat that too or bacon chips yeah. bacon fries <laughs> if you i said if you're refined though you do go for ready salted if you're refined mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah right anyway number five the irish have a strong drinking culture what's yeah. the best way for you to get over a hangover uh a full irish breakfast the next day something greasy Okay. Uh, maybe like even a kebab or something like that, but definitely something greasy. But a full Irish breakfast usually does the job. All right. In a Mongkok park. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Number six, a childhood habit that you grew out of. Um, childhood habit that I grew out of. Uh, playing video games. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Is that a habit? It's more of a hobby. Yeah, it's a habit. Yeah, yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. Um, one other hobby that you also like, aside from watches. Um, cars, vintage cars. Okay. All right. Do you collect vintage cars then? I used to. Yeah. Um, but but obviously not anymore in Hong Kong because it's 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 more difficult here and. and and it's a money pit because servicing and everything else here is just uh, it's just crazy. Okay. Um, one thing that people that that most people that know you don't know about you. Most people that know me that don't that <laughs> don't something that they don't know about me. Uh, yeah. I used to have long hair. <laughs> like how long? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, past past my shoulders. That is right. like you put up in a ponytail. So, okay, so like when your episode comes out, right? We post it on IG, right on the waiting yeah. list podcast IG. Yeah, can we have yeah, a profile pic of you in long hair? Oh yeah. No, no way. I don't. I don't think I even have it on my phone. But definitely not. We'll no. Photoshop Jesus, it. That would. That is definitely not, yeah, love not, not something it. for the for the yeah. public domain, and that would definitely go viral. And I'll never live it down. Absolutely <laughs> not. No, no. Even when I look back on it now, I actually I was looked horrendous. I look like I actually look like a a, a pretty good looking girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, we'll Photoshop Lung's hair onto yours. It's about the same. Length anyway. Do you know what 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 would be good? I could send a picture of me with the with the with the girl filter. Ah. Yes, do that. You know, okay. on on uh, yeah. you have those filters where you change the face to female or male, right? Uh, yeah, that Snapchat. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I use the old filter a lot, but yeah, you definitely can use the uh, the girl filter. <laughs> Okay, number uh, nine. One thing off your bucket list. One thing off my bucket list. One thing off my bucket list. Wow. Actually, I don't have that much on my bucket list. Or maybe, 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 maybe I've done them all. Yeah. And on the bucket list, maybe. No, I. I... I don't, I don't have that much of a, of, of, a, of a bucket list, actually. All right. We're going on to the last one. Your best pickup line. My best pickup line? Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> my best pickup line? Yeah. Uh, oh, hi. My name is Bond. Oh, Polly no. Bond. Because I'm gonna fill that crack. (laughs) (laughs) 
I need to make that like a common question in the quick fire. That in the pub is so funny. Wait, that's that not one? the last question. That's not the last question. Okay, so, so we got another question. Okay, we have another yeah. question, right? This is the last question. So, yeah. like, pick one of two you would find like bearable to wear watches, right? So. Actually, Lung, do you want to do this since it's coming well, from Well, okay, you? so this is from your your friend, Clarence. And then he's like, let me think of a question. Like, let me think of something I don't know about him. And then he he's beside me, the me actually right here. Oh, really? Because yeah. I actually think that Jacob and Co, I was like, who wouldn't want that billionaire yellow diamond watch? Okay, anyways. Yeah. Um, so VCA, the lovers on the bridge. Chanel yeah. J twelve the full sapphire. By the way, I think that's a nice watch. Yeah. Gucci Wonderland. What is Jacob that? And... Which one? What is Gu- Gucci... Gucci Wonderland. What is that? Oh, like? you you should Google it. <laughs> Jacob and Co. The billionaire yellow diamond watch. The LV Tambora Casino. Bulgari Sapenti full diamond. Chopard Happy Sport. Piaget Limelight. Dior the Montre Grand Soir. Dior. You wouldn't mind wearing. No, I would hate wearing. Is that what the question is? <laughs> yeah, you have to choose two that you would wear. Oh, like that the... I would wear. I would wear yeah. the um the I'd wear the the tambour. Mm-hmm. I would wear the I really like the shop part too. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well then that was the last one. <laughs> I don't know any of those. But but yeah. The... Uh, there's a running joke about me and Dior, yeah. or so, but that's a story for another time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that ends the podcast. Thank you so much for your time, Jackie. Um, yeah, thank you. I hope you had no, a good time on the show. Pleasure. And uh, the, the the hour has flown by, and and you know what they say is uh, time flies when you're having fun, and uh, it's been great chatting to you. And thank you so much for inviting me on on here to chat with you guys and. Uh, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun and it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. That's okay. Yeah. We're happy to fulfill that thing off your bucket list. All right. <laughs> see you guys Good. on the next one. Bye. Bye. All right. Talk to you soon. Take care. All the best, guys. Bye-bye. As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.